0: You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. So we're tar- starting a whole new topic this month called God and Money. And we're going to talk about finances, philosophies of money, uh, etc. We're going to have uh, the Palmers in a couple Sundays. And next week we'll have Amy Streeter. who's writ- She did uh, the Financial Peace University here at New Life. And she's written a book about money. And um, so... I will introduce our guest speaker this morning, and then he will talk to us about how awesome God and money is. <laughs> Bobby, come on up. This is Bobby Nicholas, everybody. He spoke before. I guess somebody. He's um, a good friend of mine, someone who I trust about money and God. And so, anyways, Bobby Miklas. Greetings, Earthlings. Hello. Thank you, Joe, for the intro. I feel a little bit uh, underqualified to talk about money, so I'm going to have some help today too, but thank you for coming, welcome to the mill, love being here, love working with Joe, and um, this is a cool atmosphere, don't you think, Sunday morning, it's kind of academic, kind of nerdy, you don't have to be singing next to your neighbor, all that kind of thing, so I like being here, I'm glad to be here today, who is ready for fall already? Yeah, Yeah, August was yesterday. September's today. When is the start of fall, anyway? September 21st. You're ready for the pumpkin spice latte. I know it. So, fall is coming. The wind is starting to blow. It's getting cold. The leaves are changing, maybe, or thinking about changing. And uh, does anyone like to drive through the mountains when the leaves are changing? Yeah, I love that. I love that. And Brooke and I like to go this drive. There's a little road right before Cripple Creek that they put in last year. It's just beautiful. And always, when I'm going through that, I'm thinking about gold. I know you too, right? You're driving through the mountains and thinking, there's gold in them hills. And today, obviously, as you know, we're talking about money. Uh, So here's the deal. Some people are going to focus really specifically on one aspect of money this week. Maybe stewardship, maybe tithing, maybe different understandings of what the Bible talks about with money. Today, we're going to just do do an intro, a segue to the whole month. So we're going to present some ideas, some perspectives, and kind of lay a framework for us to understand how we can think about money for the next month, okay? There's some more gold. So money. Um, when I was asked to talk about money here, I was kind of thinking, like, I don't, I don't know what to say really that much. I've got some ideas. Uh, but this is important. Money is important, and here's why. We're talking about more than just our tithe when we talk about money. We're talking about more than just the 10% that we're asked to give or set aside, Money, you could say, 100% of our money and our finances and our resources can be stewarded for the kingdom of God. That's not a new idea. But 100% of what we own, possess, are gifted with and entrusted with by God and others, that all can be stewarded in a way that reflects the nature and character of God and points people towards who He is. So this is an important topic. And the other thing is, like these two objects here, money can be a tool— It is a tool. It can be used as a tool to further the kingdom, to bless people, to encourage people, to do good, cool things in life. So that's kind of why this is important. Um, Some people would say that no other place in our life does our belief about God and righteous living manifest itself more than in our finances. Some people would say that the way we think about the world, the way we perceive God, the way we understand our expression of faith that can be seen in how we choose our finances, how we choose to manage our finances more than any other area of our life. So I think this is a worthy and important topic to talk about for a month straight. Uh, Who's this handsome looking guy? Anyone know? Who is it? Billy Graham. Yeah. This is Billy Graham. Here's what he said. He said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. So even Billy Graham thinks this is important to talk about, or at least that this can reflect where our heart is, our checkbook, our money, our finances. Here's where I was about five years ago. Uh, I I kind of fell in the camp of, um, I don't need to go to college. I'm going to drop out after my first semester and go to Africa and just love people. That's all you need. Just love them, man. You don't need money. Just trash it. Anyone in here like that? Come on. Okay, no one. (laughs) Well, I'm not like that anymore, (laughs) Um, but I invited a friend to come speak with me, and I asked Joe if I could do this. My perspective has changed a little bit. I don't think we should just trash money. I think money is good. I think it's a tool and a resource. I like money, and uh, I have a friend who has helped guide my thinking with that, because I I really did fall on the side of... Money is the root of all evil It's going to corrupt my heart and my soul And I don't want anything to do with it and, and that was way too far of a swing in my opinion And so I had to kind of swing back to a healthy middle ground And one of my good friends, Brian Hare Has been a, a friend all through the last five years of my life He's been a brother in Christ And he's helped me formulate some thinking about consumerism And money and faithful stewardship and godly wisdom So I'm going to invite Brian Hare up real quick and actually, for the rest of the time, Brian and I are going to be talking and speaking together. So, What's up guys? this Zazan. is Brian.
1: Yep, we're good. All right.
0: Brian, why do you think, from, from your perspective, why do you think it's important to talk about money for a month straight?
1: Um, just as I've learned over the years, in the Bible, there's 2,300 verses directly or indirectly related to money, which is quite a bit. It ends up being about 7% of the Bible. So God obviously has a lot of thoughts on money. And so, money can be something that communicates what we believe about God. It can communicate what we believe about ourselves and those around us, and even the world that we live in. And so, it's a pretty big deal to get right, and yet so oftentimes it feels super overwhelming that I've met with so many people that kind of look at money and they are like, oh man, there's so much to think about. I give up. And we go back to the that toilet with all the money dumping in, and it's like, it's overwhelming, so we're just going to dump it down the toilet and move on. And so... That's kind of the perspective that a lot of people have on money. So super excited that you guys are spending the next month here talking about money and getting at least a framework to kind of guide the rest of your lives. And as we dive in, I kind of want to read Psalm 24 and then just pray and open us off.
0: Joe's a fan of having you turn to your Bible, which I really like. Uh, we can read it and touch it and eat it and consume it, and, and maybe as we're praying, think about what Brian just said here. Our actions with money communicate what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world. So please just foster your hearts to receive, to listen to what the Holy
1: Spirit might be speaking to you today, and uh, let's, let's dig in here. Psalm 24, it begins with reminding us that everything is God's. And so oftentimes in church settings, when we talk about money, it's, about the tithe and us wanting your tithe. And we forget that the other 90% of our income, the other 90% of our wealth, also belongs to God. And so this just reminds us of that. So I'm going to read it and then I'll pray. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in them. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Father, as we come before you this morning to learn about a subject that is dear to your heart, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this room, that you would fill Bobby and myself as we speak, giving us words that communicate your truths, God, that you would be honored in that. I pray that these words would fall on open ears and open hearts, and that we would begin to have a framework to understand money that guides us in a way that we can glorify you for the rest of our lives. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor, all the praise, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, I just want to intro real quick with some background and some history on me. This is about the prime time of my uh, money is evil type of life. And I, I grew up with a pretty, I would call them a righteous mom and dad. They exemplified a life of righteousness, a life of integrity. And my dad especially just was a great father. He taught me a lot about small business. He thought, taught me a lot about loving people well and uh, transcending these stereotypes. And just he's just a good guy. He's a great guy. And he's also extremely frugal Maybe overly frugal, and he passed that on to me. We used to go out to eat in restaurants, and if you ordered like a sprite, you were gonna feel guilty for a week. Because it was, you could get water, that's free, you know. So, that's kind of the culture I grew up in. We did, we had plenty of money growing up, but we were very aware of how we were using and spending our money. And, uh, as I grew older, I wanna tell a story real quick from our, my first week of marriage. I'm, I'm married to my wife Brooke. We've been married for three years now. And the first week of marriage, we were cleaning dishes and learning how to cohabitate the same space. And uh, I remember her turning the water on and leaving it running for the while she was doing the dishes. And I just didn't understand that. So we got in this um, discussion. (laughs) Yeah, it was a firm discussion, right? We got in this discussion about money and uh, how much is being wasted when the water is on. And so that's, that's sort of the cultural environment by which I grew up with money. You don't waste any, and giving wasn't really a part. It, we gave a lot growing up, but maybe not money, or at least I never saw it. I never learned how to give money. Brooke, on the other hand, loves to give. She's extremely generous, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that's, that's sort of the cultural environment I grew up with, money. Very frugal, maybe even you could say stingy.
1: So that's me. Brian. I grew up as a secret agent, and so... Brian didn't know I was showing this picture. I <laughs> ripped it off his Facebook page. <laughs> it's a great picture. So I, uh, I went to college and I studied finance for my undergrad. And afterwards, when I was a freshman in college, even before I was a finance major, I was one of these nerds that created a budget. I was working at this coffee shop like a whole 10 hours a week making loads of money. And uh, it's like, I should figure out how to spend this. So created a budget, and it's something I'm still using today. And that led me into taking all my undergrad classes. I really enjoyed finance. And so went in, declared myself as a finance major, studied that. And then afterwards, all my friends are going out to investment banking and make millions of dollars. And I was like, I don't think I want to do that, but I don't know what I want to do. So this church that I was a part of said, hey, you want to come on staff with us and be our operations director? So I was like, uh... Sure. It's better than McDonald's, right? So went on staff and oversaw their budget, oversaw their operations for three and a half years, and in that time also got the privilege of teaching about money, doing counseling with people. And about three years in, I was like, I kind of want to start a company doing this. So quit my job, moved down here, and started a financial consulting ministry that I worked at for a little over a year meeting with churches and individuals, doing financial counseling with them. That was a lot of fun, and I'm now overseeing the finances at the Christian Missionary Alliance. So I have this long history of financial background, where I've studied it, I've used it in business and all that stuff. And even today, my views on money are so profoundly shifting, and so that's one of the reasons that I was excited when Bobby asked if I would share this time with him, is just to be able to explain what's on my heart right now and what God is teaching me in the middle of the season of life that I'm in. So
0: Yeah, and it was really fun for me. I'll tell you, Brian and I both went to school in Boulder, and this is a picture from the house we both lived in for a time in Boulder, separate times. But it was really fun for me to watch Brian because uh, he was a finance major, and all these opportunities, like you said— and I, I was on the other end of the spectrum, like you guys know, and I was watching Brian sort of exemplify th- this really cool lifestyle of generosity, of uh, simplicity. Brian is one of the most simple people I know. I think everything he can fit in the front seat of his car that he owns. I mean, used to be able to. Yeah, it's amazing. He's super simple, stewards his money like a champ. And so he was a good person for me to say, there's a way to do this in life where you don't get sucked in to these other things. So, so that's Brian. Okay, we're going to talk about two common approaches to finances, I think, that the world, maybe the Christian world, will spit out there at you and and, uh, preach or teach. Two common approaches to finances. The first one is one I like to call, work hard, save, live blessed, be wise. This is one approach to finances that the Bible represents and that Christian teaching represents even. And here's what I want to say about this before I let Brian talk a little bit more. Um, It's biblical. This is biblical. biblical. And I'm sure a lot of people in the world would suggest that this is biblical. You might have heard it called the prosperity gospel, or you might have heard it called uh, the blessed life, or whatever it is. But the, the ways people and churches and organizations talk about this work hard, save money, live blessed, be wise approach, it's based off the Bible, you could argue. So that's what I want to say about that. And the second approach is called the sell everything, give to the poor, live simply approach. Um... Maybe you're familiar with this approach. And I want to say about this also, it's biblical. The scripture and stories and analogies that people use to justify this type of mentality towards finances, you could say, is biblical. So these are the two approaches we're going to tackle for the next 20 minutes or so and and help understand and help see um, the live simply and the work hard save. So, Brian, what can you tell us about uh, the—oh, I— we're going to use the Bible, too. These are pictures for me. But um, we're going to use some stories like the parable of the rich young ruler. And we're going to look at Solomon, some of the sayings of Solomon. We're going to look at Joseph and how he stewarded money well. We're going to look at some of the things that the Gospels talk about. And so we'll look at the rich young ruler. When I think of Solomon, this is why I put this picture up. This is Aladdin in, in the, uh, the Temple of Wonders, I think it's called. And that's what I think of when I think of Solomon. He's just like in, the, what is it, Cave of Wonders? Yeah, Cave of Wonders. He's just got all kinds of riches everywhere. Anyway, that's my brother. Brian, help us understand the work hard, save, live blessed, be wise.
1: Definitely. Before I dive into that section, I think one of the things... Is anyone in here taking a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University? All right. A couple of you guys. Um, anyone else read financial books? Ever seen some awesome preacher on TV telling you about finances? What so often happens is that we see these things and we think they're a formula for success. And is what these guys are trying to present, say Dave Ramsey or myself or anyone that talks about finances, is they're presenting a framework, but we oftentimes see it as a formula of do this and that and that, A plus B will equal C. And so this is, diving into this, this is one of those frameworks uh, that you see. And so Proverbs 6 says, "'Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise.'" It has no commander, no overseer, or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer, and it gathers its food at harvest. A little wh- later, Solomon writes, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp down theirs. And so you see this, and it's, the Bible is talking about save money and store it up, and so we think about 401ks and IRAs and all these other nice acronyms that the world throws at us in order to one day be rich, work really hard till you're 65, have a lot of money, and sit around for the next 30 years doing absolutely nothing. And there's something unappealing about that to me, but others, that's, that's been people's lives, and it's great, and there's nothing wrong with that. You see it in Joseph's life. When Joseph finally became the overseer for the Pharaoh, he said, there's going to be a famine, and let's store up tons and tons of food. So he took about I think 20% of all the grain, all the produce, all the things within Egypt for seven years. And they're like, all right, man, this is getting a little ridiculous. You have barns overflowing, overflowing. And then the famine hit, and it turned out to be a really wise thing. But we look at this, and we say... All right, this is a formula. Just save all the money I can. Save all the money so that I can be rich. I can get my big house, my Ferrari, my private jets, all of these things. And that becomes our goal in life. And so that's, that's great and fine. Saving is so wise. But when we create it as a formula to get rich, that's where the problem becomes in, comes in. As you can see, it was biblical, that Joseph saved money, that Solomon calls us to save money. And Bob, if you want to dive into the next part. Yeah, and
0: I I like what Brian said too, because um, the Proverbs and the stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament, these things are helping us see that the ants are an example to us. They save in the in the summer, so they can have food in the winter. And um, the rich man saves up choice olive oil and food and the Bible's hinting towards this. You can live a blessed life. Saving isn't bad. It's actually good. I'm encouraging this. Like Brian said, we see Joseph, one of the main huge characters that we talk about all the time in the Bible, and he's criticized for how much he saves by his peers. And he, he ends up rescuing these peoples who don't have food. He's saved. He's planning ahead. So what we're trying to communicate here is this work hard, save, live blessed, be wise perspective. This is a good perspective. It's a healthy perspective, and it's one we see lived out in Joseph's life and all throughout the Bible.
1: But it's something—real quick, Um, sorry—it's something where we begin to make that a formula. I read a book my freshman year of college called The Storehouse Principle that was based on the proverb of the ant storing up, and it was all about how do we get wealthy? How do we amass all of this wealth? And you begin to think—you read these things because it's scriptural—and you begin to think that— It's biblical to be wealthy. It's biblical to to store up and, you know, devote your life to amassing wealth. And we we think that's—I hear preachers all the time that talk about this is what we should do.
0: And Brian said this phrase a couple times. I think it's a good one to chew on. Formula versus framework. And I've gotten the opportunity and the privilege to speak at the mill a couple of times. And usually when I do, I like to try and burst open these boxes or these compartments— That we as humans like to have. We we build them up and construct them. Whether that's predestination and free will. Are those totally distinct? Or can they overlap? Or whether it's saving or giving to the poor. Formula versus framework. And keep that in your mind as we're talking about the rest of this time today. Because um, Brian's right. If we adopt these principles as a formula. It can be something that becomes unhealthy. But if we use this as a framework. To help guide our decisions. To help principle our lives. I think it's good. I think it's really good. Here's the other perspective. Sell everything, give to the poor, live simply. Uh, There's the parable of the rich young ruler. You guys are familiar with this in Mark 10. What's interesting about this parable uh, is it's found in three Gospels, three or four. I think it's found in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all focus on this Gospel and they they give it quite a bit of length. Mark, for example, in his Gospels is, usually has an emphasis or a slant in much of his writing on miracles. And he gives a whole section for this parable of the rich ruler. Matthew and Luke both see it as very important. Luke emphasizes the poor a lot. He emphasizes the Holy Spirit. He emphasizes social interaction. And he gives a whole bunch of devotion to this parable. Same thing with Matthew. He's a heavy emphasis on teaching, heavy emphasis towards the Jewish um, culture, Jewish audiences. And he too gives a lot of attention to this parable. So it's important. They're saying something here. It's important. And this is like a modern day rich young ruler. You know, Jesus, I've kept all my, all the commands. I'm, I'm doing well. And he says, go and sell everything in Mark 10, 17 through 30. Let's, let's just read that real quick. Mark 10, 17 through 30, if you want to turn there. The rich young man, as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, don't honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these, even from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. Pause for a sec there. Jesus looks at this man and he loves him. He has compassion, empathy, love for him. And he says to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So there's a different perspective, maybe, than Solomon or, or Joseph storing up these things. So here's the perspective we're talking about sell everything, give to the poor, live simply. Let's look at another one. Luke 12, 13-21. Turn there if you would, please. Luke 12. Sure. This is the parable of the, uh, of the rich fool. And here's a whole other swing to what we just heard. So I'm going to have Brian
1: read that for us. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told him a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this very night your light, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God.
0: There's a guy named Scott McKnight. He's coming to speak at the leadership conference here at New Life in about a month. And uh, he has this term, blue parakeets. And he, he says a blue parakeet, if you see a blue car- parakeet in the wild, that kind of jumps out at you. That doesn't belong there. We may be trying to ignore it and focus on the regular birds. He's a bird watcher, so that makes sense, sense to him. But this, to me, is one of, the, one of those blue parakeets in the Bible because we see Joseph storing up this grain. We have this perspective we just understood of work hard, save, live blessed, be wise. And here is this parable of someone doing that, right? They've done this. And, and Jesus is kind of coming down on him in a way. Um, and what I love about this, like other topics in the Bible, Jesus is constantly tearing down these formulas that we build. He's tearing down uh, these categories and these recipes for success. And he's pointing us towards a way of living that is righteous and in step with him and guided by the Holy Spirit and grounded in the foundations of the Bible, but not necessarily formulated and, and calculated in the way that maybe we want it to be. And then, of course, Luke 7. Um, this is where the Beatitudes are found in Luke. And he says, Bless are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Wow. Okay. Here's the two perspectives sell everything, give to the poor, live simply, work hard, save, live blessed, be wise. Remember, I think both are biblical. They both offer us a framework to interpret the world, to interpret how to steward our finances, how to live with others, how to perceive God. Um, which is right? I don't know. Is Ghani right? Is Dave Ramsey right? I'm not sure if there's a right way to do it. I think it's probably a blend of both of these, right? Here's the, here's the point. Jesus is helping us see this is not a formula, but a framework. We see ants storing and laboring to save. We see Joseph and Solomon We see the rich young ruler, we hear the Beatitudes, and from my perspective, my reading of the Bible, you can't derive a formula for success from those things. But we do have two really healthy biblical frameworks to use to help steward and pray through our finances and money. Okay, let's let's, uh, just ground ourselves for a second, read this.
1: I want to read this verse and then um, this is kind of the, presents both tensions of the framework that we are operating in, and will lead kind of into the next section, but it says, Proverbs 30 verse 8, remove far from me falsehood and lying, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God.
0: If you want to star that one or write it down, that would be a great one to pray through this month. As you're learning, thinking about finances, that's a great scripture. I love praying the scripture. It gives us language to speak to God from himself in a way. That'd be a good one to start. This conversation we're having right now is situated in context. It's situated in history and in culture. It's where we are. New Life Church, Colorado Springs, Colorado, United States of America, 2013. That's where this conversation is happening. So with that in mind, here's a discussion question for you. What are some differences and some similarities between the American dream and the kingdom of God? Can we handle that one? Some differences, some similarities?
1: Small little discussion. Won't take long.
0: Yeah. So you got about three to four minutes at your table. See if you can come up with a couple differences and a couple similarities between the kingdom of God and the American dream. Ready, set, go. Uh, this is an important question to ask, and here's why Jesus made all these radical claims, he really did. Uh, And he was situated in culture and history in the context of his life. And still, he had to be Jesus. He had to live out his convictions, lifestyle, in the context of Rome or Damascus or wherever it was that he was. So this is important for us because we're currently in America, in the United States, in Colorado Springs. So when we're talking about these biblical principles, we have to be able to translate them. So let's hear some. What are some differences? Let's start with differences. What are some differences between... The American Dream and the Kingdom of God. Anyone? Differences? Joe is going to help us. He's got a mic or Brian. Yep. Differences.
1: We said a difference was that in the American Dream, wealth is the end result of mass amounts amounts of wealth for the end result. And in the Kingdom of God, the end result is blessing others, but it uses wealth as a tool. Got it. Cool. I love that answer. Talking about the ends
0: versus the means in the kingdom of God. The ends is not the same as the means in, in uh, the American dream. Maybe that's not the case. Differences between the American dream and the kingdom of God. I know there are some differences. In that the American dream, everybody's in pursuant of their own individual dreams. and the kingdom of God, it's under one head. Yeah, it's great kingdom of god is kind of more focused on the body the catholic holy worldwide church and individualism is maybe seeped into the american dream a little bit um
1: in the american dream we are striving for perfection where in the kingdom of god there is perfection
0: yeah great In the modern view of the American dream can be summed up with a bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys wins fact it's 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 to the matter is you're dead. it doesn't matter what toys you got. <laughs> uh, the, ki- the kingdom of heaven is the exact opposite. Um, Jesus talks about the rewards that we receive in heaven, um, so here on earth may be the pain, the suffering, and the trial, but in eternal life, there is reward. Good, I like that. The kingdom of heaven is more about these rewards that are lasting and eternal. The American dream is talking about right now, the toys. All right, how about some similarities? There are some similarities, by the way, some really good ones, some really strong ones. Between the American dream and the kingdom of God, similarities.
1: (laughs) Working hard.
0: Working hard. Yeah. Sure. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. (laughs) The American Dream says um, you need to work hard. Yep. Okay. Sure. Sorry. Uh, American Dream is like saying that is offered for everybody. So you know, for an international going to America says that. The success is offered for everybody. So it's like the kingdom of God. God offers it for everybody, no matter what, sinner or not. I mean, but most likely God wants the sinners. But what I'm trying to say is that American dream is like equality. Like, everybody can dream that, and everybody can attain that. And the kingdom of God says everybody
1: can attain that. You Good. Know, so.
0: Thank you, John. I like that. It's a great connection. One more. One more similarity. Um, just... The, the, the goal for both is still success. They just look a lot different. Sure. Great. Thank you, guys. Okay, so here we have money and gold, and uh, we have our tools. And we're going to shift a little bit. We've got these these frameworks. Work hard, live, save. Live simply, give to the poor. Um, I want to offer a way to marry these and help our money and our resources, and our finances to become tools. And there are all kinds of things we can talk about. We can talk about budget, we can talk about tithing, uh, we can talk about a whole bunch of different things. But there's one tool that I think is very consistent throughout the Bible. You could call it a tool. Um, it's consistent throughout the Bible, it's consistent without who Jesus is, and here's, here's a quote for you. <laughs> Generosity is what keeps the things I own from owning me. In other words, generosity isn't just to bless others. It also liberates me.
1: When we look at this framework and building a framework with which and how we interact with money for the rest of our lives, you have Jesus as the cornerstone of everything in our lives, including money. But one of the foundational Bricks, one of those pieces that goes right there on the bottom and should be the foundation for everything else is this idea of generosity. And you see it all throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, and one of the biggest places you see it is... Was anyone in Awanas growing up? All right. The only thing I remember from Awanas was memorizing John 3.16. And it's the foundational verse of us being saved and given eternal life. But... Uniquely in there is that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. And inherent within his character is that he is a God who is generous and gives. And James talks about um, all the good gifts that we receive are gifts from our Heavenly Father. Everything we have in life is a gift from him. Out of his generosity, he gives to us. So.
0: And I think sometimes when we talk about giving... Uh, we can slowly have this mentality seep in that is like, if I give, I will get. And to be clear, I think the Bible suggests that that's true in some cases. I would, I would say that. Um, however, this sort of enlightened self-interest, uh, if I give, I will get, therefore I will give, I don't think that's primarily what the Bible is talking about when it talks about generosity. And right now, just like Brian said, if you're building a foundation, you set the cornerstone, and then you start laying these bricks, one of those bricks is generosity. And so, here's what I want to say. If we focus on the material blessing that comes from giving, this is biblical. We can see that. Malachi 3.10 talks of being blessed a hundredfold in this life and the next for obedience to Jesus. Um, he, He says, see if I will not throw open the storehouse if you tithe
1: um yeah malachi talks about you know when you're tithing god says you've robbed me of the tithe and he says bring the full tithe in and see what i will do see if i won't open the floodgates of heaven and bless the entire world until there's no more need and even in mark the passage we read from there in mark 10 about the rich young ruler he says those who give up everything for me will receive back a hundredfold in this life and an eternal life
0: so i think that's biblical um but maybe that's not all of it. Some people will throw that out and say that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the material blessing. He's talking about the spiritual blessing. Matthew does this a little bit. He spiritualizes the Beatitudes and said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And um, they, they would say something like, if you give, you're going to be full of joy. And if you're generous in life, you will have peace and uh, this freedom from greed You'll get these spiritual blessings, and I think that's biblical too. The Beatitudes help us understand that, some other things help us understand that. We're going to focus in on something that's neither material blessing nor spiritual blessing, I don't think. It's the gift of giving itself. And maybe it's the most forgotten when we're thinking about being generous. Um, But the blessing that comes, not after you give, but in the moment of giving— who here is a love languages person, five love languages, you understand that framework? Who here is like really high on the giving gifts of, what is it, gifts of service, giving gifts? Gifts. Gifts. Giving gifts of service and acts of touch. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the love All language. in one. Oh boy. <laughs> giving gifts. Who, who just gets so much joy from giving gifts to other people? Yeah? My wife is like this. She's incredible she, uh, we, we argue because she, I just make it look like an arguable couple. <laughs> she loves to give gifts so much that I have to return gifts, not because I don't want them, because like, this is, oh, this is too much. Thank you. And when she loves me a lot, which is all the time, of course, um, gifts naturally flow out of that. It's amazing to see her give gifts. And I'm not just talking about buying stuff. I'm talking about notes and, and treats and Rice Krispies. She's a giver of gifts. And I didn't really understand that whole blessing uh, of the act of giving until I tried to understand Brooke a little bit more and see that she is so fulfilled in giving to others. It's amazing, amazing to watch. So here's a question for you. What are some ways that you are generous? What are some ways you can grow in generosity? Or what is one thing you can do to be generous this month? So we're trying to ground us in a little bit of reality here. Walk out of here today with this in your mind. What are some ways you can be generous? What are some ways you can grow in generosity? What is one thing you can do to be generous each month? Before you answer this question, let me just tell you, it can be done. You can grow in this. Uh, I would say that I would probably have argued some time ago, I'm just not really a giving—I don't express love through gifts. And that's not my love language. And uh, I'm more of like the save, be wise kind of person. And Brooke and others, I have another friend named Nate. He's just generous, generous, generous. It's in his blood. He gives away cars and motorcycles all the time, frequently. And he's my age. It's not, you know, it just comes out of him. I don't know how he does it. But I have learned through thinking, praying, asking God for help, asking God for grace, how to give gifts. And I have kind of found this this grounding stone that Brian was talking about in the foundation of how to think about finances and stewardship. Generosity always brings me straight back to the heart of God. It always does. It's an expression of who Jesus is, who's an expression of who God is. And so when we think about being generous, this is one way we can, like, coat our tools with gold, like that picture earlier. Generosity will ground us back. If, if you're ever wondering about a decision, I think it's probably pretty safe to err on the side of generosity. So here's the question. What are ways you can be generous? You've got a couple minutes, and then we'll share... Ready, set, go. Okay. Joe, can you help me out again? What are, what are some ways that you can grow in generosity? How are you answering this question? What are some things you can do this month to be generous?
1: I just found, well, I was just thinking about it. (laughs) And uh, I
0: could um, be more crafty with (laughs) what I give to other people because it just doesn't have to include things about money, but also maybe time and energy to create something. Cool. Yeah. How else? I could go out of my way to do a favor for somebody who's not my best friend. Hey. (laughs) How about that? I know a a good book you should read. (laughs) One more. I think one, one thing that we can do that doesn't need money is that we can pray for more people in the world. Like Intercession is very important in the eyes of God, and it strengthens our relationship with God itself. So giving our time to pray for people that we may grow us become more like Jesus and love more people, I think, is a good way. Yeah. Good. good. Thanks, John. Um, do me a favor this month, if you would, and, and try and practice generosity. Not just like, I'm a generous person, I give— But ask God, as you're maybe praying that Proverbs verse throughout this month, as we're learning about finances, ask him, Lord, how can I be generous this month? Please do that for me, because generosity is, uh, it's kind of like, it just grounds us in a good way of thinking about money. And people who are extremely wealthy, who are generous, they're living pretty godly lifestyles. The people I know who are both very wealthy and generous, I want to be like them. And there's people I know who aren't generous. And maybe they have a ton of money, maybe they don't have money. But generosity, whatever side of the spectrum you fall on, it helps us, it helps us from being corrupted by the love of money. It helps us from being corrupted by um, just throwing it away because it's complex or scary. Generosity will bring us back to that cornerstone of Jesus Christ. I really believe it will. So don't just think this idea, hear this idea of generosity, and don't practice it. This month, see, Lord, open my eyes to some new ways. How can we do this? How can we be generous? When uh, the house we're living in now has a nice spare bedroom that would make a really great office. And I love reading. I love studying quietly by myself. And uh, Brooke, when we moved in, we decided together, and she was the leader and the catalyst for this, we decided together to leave that room open for someone to use it. And since then, we've probably had 10 to 20 people who've needed that room for a night, for a month, for a few months, in between rent transitioning, And it's one way where we prayed and said, Lord, how can we be generous with this home that you've given us in this time? You can study on the couch. So think about this. He'll he'll help you. He'll learn you. He'll teach you. He'll learn you.
1: (laughs) Generosity is one of those that can be manifested in a variety of ways, even as they came out in the discussion. As Nate was talking, the guy he mentioned who just loves giving gifts and um, giving things away, that was my roommate for a year. And gift-giving is really low on my love languages. if you went there. um, I'm like, sweet, thanks, bro. And then I will never think about giving one back. Not because I'm cheap, but I just don't work that way. And so, but over the last few years, like, that created tension because all I wanted to do was sit there for an hour and have coffee with him, and that never happened. Um, He'd give me a gift to show his love, and I'd be like, I just want to sit down with coffee, bro. But over the last year and a half or so, I've been intentional about giving him a Christmas present or a birthday present and it doesn't have to be anything big, it can be something simple and that has opened the relationship up now we can go and we can just spend an hour, two hours talking and it's been phenomenal and that's something where I have to grow in is I love giving but gift giving, even showing up to parties and bringing contributing to the party, I'm terrible at it Bobby knows okay but it's (laughs) Exactly. It's one of those tangible expressions of the kingdom. It's so easy to see. Something as simple as bringing a bunch of hot dogs to a party and some buns, food like that, giving someone a small little birthday present, is an expression of the kingdom and of God's generosity. It reminds us that we've been so blessed. He's given us so much and that we get to imitate his nature, his character, by reciprocating that to the people around us. Good.
0: Okay, I hope you guys walk away today feeling kind of like this, like you're armed with really great tools, and you can use and steward your money and at least have a good lens to think about the next month of this conversation on finances. Um, this is Brooke. She's great. i got to show a picture of her every time. Uh, before, you want to see it again? There you go. <laughs> when, when Brooke and I, we kind of analyze our finances about twice a year, and we, we go away for a time and we pray and seek the Lord. And at the top of our budget are these scriptures. And we read the scripture every time before just to give us this lens to open our hearts to not just being wise and storing and saving, but also giving to the poor, giving to needy. So I'm going to end with reading these scriptures out loud. And if you want to close your eyes, that's great. If you want to just sit there, that's fine too. But um, let the words sink into who you are. Let them be in your mind and heart. And I'll probably pray after that. And that'll be it. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 2 Corinthians 8 says, At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And 1 John 3 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Lord God, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for showing us what generosity looks like to the max inviting us into your family and Jesus for what you did was so overly generous we can hardly comprehend that but thank you for giving us a model thank you for giving us tools in life and resources and Father we ask for wisdom and we cry aloud for insight and understanding to know how to steward the money you've given us however little or much it is to know how to um, steward the resources the time, the people you've put in our life Father, everything we do, we want that to point to who you are. We want it to be a signpost to the kingdom of God. Help people see a glimpse of something beautiful by the way we live, with our actions and with the truth that we live and proclaim. And Father, I pray that you'd get everyone in this room an idea for generosity that would grow them in that area this month. As I read and pray through Proverbs, speak to them by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the opportunity to live and learn this morning with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You can find more
1: information at www.themillonline.org.